you know, messed up hips, messed up knees, stress, anxiety, depression. Everybody in that room comes in there with baggage. Mine's just easier to see. Hello, boys and girls. Welcome back to Dharma Talk, episode number 11. Okay, how many times have you caught yourself thinking in the middle of a yoga class, this is just harder for me. It's not fair. Okay, maybe you don't maybe it doesn't happen often, but almost everybody has had that thought go through their head at least once. And if you have, this episode is for you because I'm interviewing Michael Fine. Michael talks about his mentor a few times in this interview. Her name is Mary Jarvis, and she has this saying all you need to have to do this yoga is a spine. And he added on to that saying, two arms are optional. Michael lost his arm in a tragic accident several years ago, and it was through the process of recovering from that injury, that life-altering tragic incident, that he found the yoga. So we talk about that whole experience. We talk about readjusting to life after an accident that pushed Michael to a suicide attempt and the specific yoga sequence that finally provided relief when nothing else could. We talk about the simple yet profound mind shift that got Michael through the trials and tribulations of yoga teacher training after he had already packed his bags and called an Uber to get out of there early. And also, Michael is an advocate for cannabis. So we talk about what Michael and his wife did to earn the hatred of health insurance companies and how they're helping to bring medical cannabis to the people of Illinois suffering from serious conditions. You're going to get a lot out of this interview. Michael is a joy to hear from. Can't wait for you to check it out. Just stick around through these announcements. Yogis, I've got a whole lineup of special events coming your way this summer that I'm excited to share with you, and I'm going to rattle them off in order of most serious to most lighthearted and fun. Okay, first of all, I'm assisting Jared McCann in his 300-hour quote-unquote advanced teacher training at Lighthouse Yoga School in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, this July. Now, it's advanced in the sense that we will be working on sequences that include advanced asanas, but really, the more advanced part about it is the intensity of the spiritual practice, or sadhana. Every single day is going to start with seated meditation in a group, and you'll take away a practice that you can carry forward for the rest of your life. Uh, I did this training myself last year, and this year I'm helping out with it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Next, if you're not really interested in becoming a yoga teacher, you can still do the teacher training, but we also have another option for you, which is a 30-hour intensive over the Labor Day weekend. Uh, This one is four days of intense practice with posture clinics, um, yoga philosophy training, and lots of meditation as well. This is a great option if you don't want to make the time or financial investment of a teacher training, but you really want to deepen your practice. And then the last thing I want to share with you is also in July, in between the two modules of the teacher training, I'm going to be in Chicago for the We Are Yoga Vacation. It's taking place at 105F, Chicago's original hot yoga studio. But they're going to be yoga classes of all different styles, different teachers teaching all the different classes, and we're going to take excursions too, so it'll be fun. We've got Pitchfork Music Festival going on, Chicago Cubs games, if that appeals to you. Here's the deal. If you enter my promo code, Henry Wei Chai, you can save 10% on a four-day pass to the studio, but you got to be a first-timer to 105F. That's the only catch. You can get the details for all of these events on my website at henrywins.com events. What's your purpose? What's your vision? What mark will you leave on this planet long after you're gone? I'm Henry Winslow, and you're listening to Dharma Talk, the only podcast where I interview inspirational yogis on how they're changing the world in their own unique ways. Whether you're still searching for your purpose or already walking the path, I hope these stories get you excited to live your Dharma. Hello, Dharma Talk community, and welcome back for another episode. 
Today, I've got a special guest for you. His name is Michael Fine. Michael's life was tragically altered on the morning of April 14th, 2010, when driving to work, he was struck head-on by a truck, resulting in the traumatic amputation of his left arm at the shoulder. After the accident, Michael found some relief from his chronic residual limb pain syndrome through a combination of hatha yoga and medical cannabis, both of which he has now championed as a teacher and an advocate. Michael believes that there is no magic bullet to pain relief, but rather a regular regime of various modalities, all working in unison to treat the entire person, body, mind, and spirit. Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you today? I'm doing great, Henry. My, uh, my absolute honor to be with you today. Thank you so much. And I have to say that I'm always inspired by your positivity and, and your gratitude, especially given the, the traumatic life-altering event that I just described in your bio. So I'm looking forward to hearing your perspective on that and how it's uh, changed your life. But first, I always start with the same question for all my guests, and that's this. What does the word dharma mean to you, and what is your dharma as you understand it today? You know, dharma is uh, is such a, a an interesting uh, concept. Uh, as you know, many 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 books have been written uh, in the context of uh, of yoga and in my life. Uh, you know, as of late, to me, it's really uh, the uh, the act of becoming aware of your awareness. Uh, to quote uh, to quote my greatest influence uh, in the yoga that I practice. Uh, a woman by the name of Mary Jarvis, uh, a self-realization, so to speak. To me, living this yoga isn't just a practice. It's on the mat, off the mat, people that you meet, every contact that you uh, are fortunate enough to to cross in your life, I look at those as opportunities. Um, And really, you know, to me, the currency of life is, is connection. It's not money. It's not things. It's not uh, material wealth. It's it's the opportunity to connect with uh, with one another. Uh, people are people, uh, all walks, uh, all shapes, all sizes, race, uh, race, ethnicity, uh, gender, sexual orientation. None of that really uh, serves to uh, uh, to to divide us. All those are just different ways to connect us. And and this yoga and dharma for me. Is uh, is a mechanism to to connect. To connect, yes, relationships, connections, so important. And I've had several guests come on here and and make a point of saying that what are we all what are we doing here? What are we working on? Well, it's definitely not material possessions because that all goes away at the end. So um, exactly, yeah, yeah. I think that's very smart. Uh, so tell me, Michael, what what does your yoga practice look like these days? And um, and did you practice yoga before the accident? How did how has that changed yeah. your experience? No, I, I never did up until the uh, the point of the accident. Uh, I I grew up in a uh, in a world of martial arts, uh, which ironically uh, I didn't uh, have any concept of the parallels between the two, uh, especially the you know the. The, the type of hatha yoga that I practice, uh, the Bikram method is is something <laughs> very martial arty in in its 99% uh, you know right is 100% wrong type uh, uh, background. Um, but no, I never did up until the point of the accident. So I, I feel like I found a uh, a needle in a stack of needles uh, when I uh, was uh, was fortunate enough to stumble across it. Uh, uh, after the accident, uh, my balance, uh, figuratively and literally, uh, were off. Uh, the literal balance, uh, I would fall all the time. I'd bump into things. Uh, you know, when you lose a, a limb, your whole concept and your whole sense of space and uh, where you fit into it um, is is altered. And a friend of mine uh, at the time uh, was a uh, vinyasa instructor uh, who spent uh, – uh, quite a few years studying under Anna Forrest and uh, and and some other different uh, uh, areas uh, in the in the yoga world, and came uh, over to my house one day and said, "Look, this is going to help you regain your balance. This is going to help you strengthen, you know, the center of your body, your core. 
you know, figuratively, literally the whole, the whole nine. And, uh, she started working with me, uh, on some postures more along those lines at that time to, uh, to gain, to gain my balance back, my, my literal balance. Um, it then moved into a, uh, uh, into a hot vinyasa practice. Um, I still feel the, uh, the left arm as if it was attached to my body. Um, it's phantom pain. Uh, it's, a it feels as if it's encased in a block of ice and being squeezed uh, all the time and different changes uh, externally uh, trigger uh, different sensations uh, external temperature changes barometric pressure uh, extreme heat extreme cold all serve to exacerbate or, or change the uh, the quality and the quantity of the pain that I feel uh, the internal triggers uh, that we all feel stress anxiety fear um, emotion uh, also serve to uh, to trigger and exacerbate uh, the pain. Uh, so I came into that hot uh, practice in the vinyasa uh, uh, series uh, as a mechanism to uh, to help with that pain. Uh, the heat uh, the heat helped, and I didn't really understand why at first. Um, and uh, I enjoyed the practice. It was very nice and touchy feely. Uh, you know, with some of the greatest music, uh, you know, my heroes uh, in the music world, uh, Sting, Eddie Vedder, uh, Dave Grohl, uh, all these guys uh, were, were in my yoga room, uh, you know, throughout my series with a nice cold towel on my face when I was done. And uh, when uh, uh, when I couldn't do postures, uh, you know, it was, oh, just go in a child's pose or, you know, when we were doing stuff on the left side where I had an arm balance. I was able to plank and down dog and chaturanga and do all that kind of cool stuff but when i finished the class you know because i only have one wrist my wrist was like on fire and i didn't really know whether i should do the right side twice or i should just sit there and watch everybody or didn't really and no one ever really gave me much of a, an alternative as i couldn't really do much on my left side when it came when it came to that um i was also at the time as you mentioned in my intro or in your intro rather uh, you know, uh, seeking lots of uh, non-traditional, non-pharmaceutical-based, uh, you know, pain uh, relief modalities such as acupuncture, Reiki, cranial sacral therapy, sensory deprivation, flotation, massage therapy, cupping, and on and on and on. And my acupuncture at the time uh, actually worked out of the uh, uh, of the basement of a, a Bikram yoga studio near my uh, near my home. And uh, she had helped this uh, 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 the the guy who owned the place uh, open you know uh, a bunch of years back. And one day after acupuncture, she said, well, "Why don't you try you know this yoga? I know you're doing some other yoga too, you know." Uh, and I'm like, "Well, what's the difference between this yoga and the other yoga that I've been doing?" And uh, you know, if someone uh, understands acupuncture, uh, it's a great way to describe it because she said to me. Well, this yoga is kind of like acupuncture that you do on yourself. Um, mm. And, you know, and as as you know, through a series of tourniquet effects that you're cutting off blood flow to every different area of your body, uh, muscles, you know, uh, joints, organs, systems, it's, uh, it's very similar to acupuncture. And I thought it was a great way to describe it. As someone who understands the way that acupuncture works, it's, uh, it's very similar. Uh, and, uh, one day after an acupuncture session, uh, we, uh, you know, we, and she had been practicing, uh, this, uh, this style of yoga for, uh, for about 10 years. Uh, so, you know, we, we, we took a class together and, uh, that was the, uh, that was the start of it for me. Um, and, uh, from there it, uh, didn't start out, uh, wonderfully in the beginning. I, uh, I hated it. You know, I, I often describe it as, uh, you know, especially coming from a nice touchy-feely, uh, music-filled, cold towel-filled, you know, big hug-type-filled vinyasa background, um, it was like getting punched in the face. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no music. It was 105 degrees, 40% humidity. The uh, the guy who owned the place was a very classic, you know, Bikram instructor. Um, you know, it he emphasized, you know, from the very first day, and I'm really grateful, uh, you know, the stillness. Uh, between the postures, you know, in the postures, in the savasana, you know, to still your mind. So once you still your mind, you know, you you, you can transform the practice, you know, from a from a, a ninety minute exercise class to a, 
to a 90-minute open-eyed movie meditation. And, and it happened for me, I think, a lot sooner than uh, for many uh, because of the discipline that was initially instilled into me by, you know, by this first instructor who, uh, who coincidentally just recently sold the, the yoga school about a month and a half ago. And my two dear friends, uh, other teachers who I've been uh, uh, working with in the past, bought the school. So now I'm actually teaching at the school <laughs> that I first practiced at and discovered this yoga, which uh, is something that's not circle. lost on me. Yeah, I mean, about as full circle as full circle comes. And uh, I walk in there every day and my, you know, I, my heart sinks. I feel like I'm walking into my home uh, when I walk in there. So it's really a cool, uh, it's really a cool, full, a full circle, uh, you know, closure type uh, uh, scenario with, uh, with this. Well, I've got a, a number of follow-up questions on, on that, that series of stories there. But um, first of all, you know, you mentioned that your balance was thrown off in more ways than one by the accident. So, of course, there was the anatomical, physical aspect there. But I also know from personal correspondence with you that there was also, you know, a depressive episode. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that yeah, and, for, and how the for, yoga for played sure. in. Uh, yeah, so so about a month and a half, two months before the accident, uh, my dad passed away. Uh, about uh, two months or so after the accident, my mom was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. Uh, the guy who hit me had, uh, had no auto insurance. Uh, my health insurance company at the time, um, I was self-employed. I'm a recovering attorney by profession. That's uh, about 10 years, and I'm almost recovered. Uh, so uh, as a recovering attorney, I was self-employed in the, uh, the mortgage business at the time uh, on a new policy, uh, a health insurance policy. This was before the Affordable Care Act uh, was in place without any of the safeguards that we now you know, enjoy or hopefully will continue to enjoy. Um, but, uh, but anyways, um, so the health insurance company that I had uh, – looked at the six-week stay in the hospital and the eight surgeries that I had initially and the two more that I had uh, at the end of that same year uh, to the tune of about a $650,000 bill and decided that they really didn't want to pay. Uh, they did a cost-benefit analysis and said, wow, we only took four months of this guy's premiums, so why should uh, why should we pay? It's really, you know, it's, it's not in our best business interest to, to only make uh, – four months of premiums and, and have to pay out all this money. Uh, so all of that stuff, um, you know, aside from being an awful, awful pain, um, 24 seven really spiraled me down. Uh, I was on about 35 pills a day at the time, uh, as well. Uh, Norco, Vicodin, Oxycontin, Methadone, Morphine, Fentanyl, uh, you know, you name it. I was on it from an opioid narcotic standpoint. Uh, then, the nerve blockers, gabapentin, Lyrica, Cymbalta, then the antidepressants, Abilify, Seroquel, side effect meds, more side effect meds, side effect meds, the side effect meds, pills to go to the bathroom, pills to stop going to the bathroom. Uh, really, and I'm not blaming the pills, uh, but they were a big part of all the stuff that was going on in my life at the time. Uh, I spent about a month and a half, of, uh, about a month or so of my life uh, downstairs in the basement of my home, my wife and my two young boys uh, at that time, seventh uh, grade and fifth grade, uh, while they slept up in their beds uh, with a belt around my neck over a basement door till I passed out. Uh, or in my garage with my car turned on and the door closed, uh, you know, or at uh, the sink in my bathroom with a knife at my wrist, uh, trying to get out of, uh, of this life. Um, it culminated in an attempt uh, where I took a bottle of pills and my wife and my oldest son uh, came home and found me, you know, on the kitchen floor. Uh, and then I went back into that hospital, you know, the same hospital that uh, I had been at for six weeks uh, that I emerged from as a hero. Uh, I went back into in a psych ward where they took my belt and my shoelaces and I was surrounded by, you know, drug addicts and alcoholics and no judgment, um, but really like, oh my God, how did I get here kind of thing. And uh, that, that was the precursor. <laughs> uh, you know, by some act of, of God, you know, Allah, Buddha, Jesus, energy, whatever it is that you want to call it, to me it's all the same thing. Uh, I made it out of that place, and I was looking for a new way forward. 
and I needed it to be something that was not a pharmaceutical-based <laughs> modality. Uh, I needed it to be something that would lift me up, something that would help me to heal. So when I said before, I you know I feel like I found a needle in a stack of needles with this Hatha Yoga series that I practice, I found a needle in a stack of needles. Uh, I tried so many different things and looked through so many different places for, you know, from energy work to this. And many things were out there and many things were helpful, but nothing that I found to date helps me the way that this yoga series does. And, you know, and for me, you know, uh, to quote my, uh, uh, my, my mentor once again, when something works every time, no matter what, you call it a universal truth, like gravity. There's not been one time that I've walked into that room in probably uh, around 2,000 classes that I've taken since I started practicing that I haven't felt better when I walked out than when I walked in. It's a miracle. When something works like that, it's gravity. It's a miracle. It's, but it, it is and it isn't. It's science. It's real. It's not touchy-feely. You know, I mean, what this is is just a series that cuts off blood flow to every different area of your body, muscle, bone, joint, tissue, holds it for 10, 15, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, you release it, fresh high-speed oxygenated blood hits those areas, flushes out gunk, plaque, scar tissue, you know, whatever, and your body returns to homeostasis. Mm -hmm. And when everything works the way that it should, your liver, your kidney, your spleen, everything works the way that it should, you just feel better. You know, I, I live at, uh, you know, a five to a seven on that proverbial, you know, one to 10 scale that uh, every time you go into a doctor or a hospital, they ask you where it hurts and what, what number it is. Uh, when I walk out of that room, I drop down to, to somewhere between a two and a five, depending on the day. And it doesn't sound like much, but when you live at a five or a seven and you drop down to a two or a three or a four for a couple of hours, it's... It's, that's huge it's addictive and it is and and it's hard uh, it's hard to uh, to really describe and um, and and emphasize you know what this means to me but it's a daily practice for that very reason it's nothing noble okay I'm no hero I'm no inspiration okay this is pure pain avoidance for me okay and uh, I came into that room for pain avoidance pain uh, plain and simple to find relief from physical pain. What happened in that process was I found the meditation, the mental, the spiritual clarity with the silver linings in that cloud that turned out to be <laughs> even greater than the pain relief. Mm -hmm. And that's what keeps you going back. That's why people practice this series 20, 30 years, a beginner series of yoga and they keep coming back again and again and again into a 105-degree room at 40% humidity with no music or touchy-feely stuff, just you in the mirror and, and a voice. And, and, you know, and everybody in that room, everybody in that room is suffering, okay? I don't mean suffering from the class. I mean they're suffering from something, whether it's physical pain, mental pain, you know, frozen shoulders, torn meniscuses. You know, messed up hips, messed up knees, stress, anxiety, depression. Everybody in that room comes in there with baggage. Mine's just easier to see. Mm -hmm. And that's really, you know, and if I could be someone who's an ambassador to show people that, you know what, you know, it's all you need to do this yoga is a spine. Again, Mary Jarvis. Okay, I added two arms are optional. If I could be that person to show people that, you know what, too fat, too old, too sick, too weak, too whatever, you know what, it doesn't matter. It's not about anything else than going in there and teaching people, okay, I'm nobody's guru. I'm nobody's anything. You're your own guru, okay? You're your own hero. You go in there. My job is to teach you that you have the ability to heal yourself if you give yourself the right tools to do that, the right nutrition, the right lifestyle, the practice of the series, in and out, in and out, day in, day out, your body's natural predisposition, if it's given the right tools, nutrition, water, all the great things that you need, 
is natural predisposition is to heal. You just have to give it the ability to do so. Our natural predisposition is to heal and be healthy. And that's what that room is. And that's what that podium is for me, is a place to teach people that they have the ability to do it themselves. It's not about a pill. It's not about the next fad diet. It's not about the next you know, self-help book. You have everything you need, everything you need to, to heal, to, to, to be happy. And, and that's what, that's what this yoga has, has given me. So I, I appreciate you taking, yeah, I appreciate you taking us back to, you know, your darkest hour. I can't imagine that that's easy to revisit even in your memory banks. So thank you for doing that. But now I'm interested in hearing about the pivotal moment, whatever happened that made the switch in your mind where you no longer wanted to just keep this to yourself. And I know you said that you practiced selfishly for pain avoidance, but at a certain point you made the decision to be a teacher and advocate for other people to heal their own suffering in whatever form that may take. So what happened there and take us through that, that journey, that mental process for you. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was, you know, I was, uh, I, I had been about, uh, you know, almost, uh, almost five years into my practice or maybe four, four and a half years into my practice. And, you know, it, 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 everyone that I came across, um, you know, were like, wow, your story's so great. You'd be such a great teacher. Think about how many people you can inspire, blah, 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 blah. And it kind of, I kind of stumbled into yoga teacher training, you know, on the backs of that, on the backs of all those people that said, you know, this is really your next logical step. Uh-huh. Not really thinking as much about it, not really even knowing that I wanted to teach. But for me, it was a place uh, or a concept where I can learn more. I can learn the whys and the hows and what's really going on in your body and all that kind of stuff. So for me, that's what uh, that what caused me to uh, to go into training. Uh, the stars happened to align of the timing of it all, uh, you know, and uh, and it just worked. Um, this was uh, the uh, the fall of uh, the fall of twenty of twenty sixteen. Yeah, because this uh, this October it'll be two years for me teaching, and uh, or November uh, rather, and I. I got there and met some really incredible people and some amazing teachers. And uh, my training uh, was uh, uh, through a. I didn't go to uh, to Bikram's training. Uh, I went to uh, to the Raja uh, Yoga Academy training. A guy Craig. by the name of Craig Vellani, exactly, who had run Bikram's training for I think about eleven or so odd years. And um, the place that I had been practicing at the time said, "Well, if you want to teach, this is where you have to go." I didn't know Craig. I didn't know, again, you know, uh, the people that I had met in this yoga were primarily people that I met through my two teaching mentors, uh, you know, uh, as I mentioned, Mary and and Isak Garcia. Uh, So I didn't know Craig and I didn't know uh, any of that group. Uh, But I'm like, all right, well, I guess if I want to teach, this is where I have to go. So it was just kind of that that I wanted in that. Uh, He, uh, you know, I'd never met Bikram and, um, but, uh, I, I've never met anybody like Craig. Uh, this is a guy that we had. There were 42 people in my training. I watched this guy look into 42 people and see their strengths, see their patterns, see their weaknesses, and pull them out of people, almost like a Rain Man type clairvoyant uh, ability. That I, to this day, I haven't met anybody that's uh, been able to do that. And uh, the first half of that training, it was a six-week training, 500 hours. You know, my days pretty much started at about 5, 5.30, ended every day at about 1, uh, 1 a.m. Uh, super intense, uh, was not prepared for it. <laughs> you know, so many people that had gone to Bikram's training said, oh, don't worry about it. You'll learn the, you know, the dialogue and, and, and correct training. It's called the outline. You'll learn it when you get there. Don't, don't worry about it. And I'd studied it in practice, but, it, you know, as I've gotten older, I'm, I'm 50 now, you know, my learning style has has changed with uh, with my age. I think I've become a much more experiential learner than uh, than when I was uh, you know a kid who was in law school and can sit down and memorize a thousand pages and spit them out the next day on an exam and, and be done with them. Mm-hmm. I don't have that ability anymore, and that was kind of how 
I thought I was going to get carried through this training. So when that didn't work, I was in like full on fight or flight for the first half of that training. Um, words wouldn't come out of my mouth. Words wouldn't go into my head. I'd get up on that box and, you know, we wouldn't just do these postures or deliver these postures one or two times. I mean, we would do each posture 30, 40 times. And I'd get up there and I'd open my mouth and tears would just roll down my face and nothing would come out. And I speak in front of two, three hundred people. I speak to kids uh, at, at, at schools, at, at synagogues, at churches, uh, uh, university students about overcoming obstacles and dealing with change and, you know, depression, anxiety. I have zero problems speaking in front of people. But something about this was so incredibly sacred to me that I had just built such a barrier in my head, uh, uh, almost an insurmountable one. That for the first half of this training, uh, you know, aside from doing two classes a day, sleeping three or four hours a night, you know, uh, dealing with things that I thought I put to bed, you know, from this accident, before the accident, things from my childhood, everything just came out at that time. It wasn't abusive. It wasn't staying up till four in the morning watching Bollywood movies. There was none of that kind of stuff that was going on. But I was in a physical, mental, spiritual crisis not really knowing which way up was full-on fight or flight for the first three weeks mm -hmm. i packed my bag to go home three four times once i even called an uber yeah. i was talked off the ledge by everybody from craig to john salvatore to, to lucas miles to i mean anyone that you could think of in the bickram world that was afraid of this training was talking me off the ledge from going home so, um, so what's going on in your head at this point are you thinking i'm not cut out for this or are you thinking I, I'm not ready for this. This is I was just something so different going pain. on here. Yeah, I was in so much pain. Uh, I mean, I was in a lot of physical pain. I mean, I have body work done on me probably two, sometimes even more, three times a week because of uh, all my issues. There wasn't time for that there, number one. You just didn't have time. You barely had time to eat. Yeah. Uh, and then the mental stuff that I was going through with you know, not being able to get these words out, not being able to digest this stuff. You know, mm -hmm. being on the small bus for the first time in my life, you know, it was really, you know, and then all the other stuff that was coming up. So all of that stuff was like the perfect storm of, oh, my God. And, um, you know, really what it boiled down to for me and what 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 helped me make the turn to actually staying <laughs> was about midway through the training was, you know, it was the transition from you know what? I want to be here. I went there for everybody else. I went there for everybody else's reasons. You'd be a great teacher. You could inspire people. You're going to want, you know, all that stuff. That's not enough to keep you uh, at a training like that. It really wasn't a yoga teacher training. I mean, it was. It was a yoga teacher training, and I walked out of there, you know, with a certificate, and, and, and now I'm teaching this yoga. But I like to call this training uh, extreme life skill, leadership, consciousness training disguised as yoga teacher training because that's really what it was. It really forced you to not just look in the mirror but actually see what you're looking at in the mirror. And a lot of times there's things that you think are you, you know, that are part of you, really aren't you. They're just your patterns, your habits, how you respond to extreme stress, you know, whether it's in that room at 105 degrees or whether it's outside of that room in traffic when some guy's honking at you or cut you off or some guy jumps in front of you in a line or it, it was that. And that that turning point for me was, man, I'm here for me. I'm going to do this. I still didn't know if I was going to teach it, but I finally midway through decided that I needed to be there for me. Yeah. And I wanted to be there for me. I'm and when that happened, thing. that yeah. was – yeah. Um, that was when it changed. That was when everything kind of morphed into, okay, you know, and uh, and then then it took on a different it took on a different meaning and a different light to me. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to go back for those first three weeks because they were a blur right now. And I'd like <laughs> yeah. to go back and learn what I missed. Uh, but, I think that's because uh, I was there, but I wasn't there. You know, I think that's a powerful takeaway for the whole audience of this show. Is you know, if if you're being motivated by other people extrinsic motivations you know that can take you so far but then as soon as you get 
to the place where you got to dig deep. It's got to come from inside. It's got to be the intrinsic motivation. And it's like you said, you know, that can apply in the yoga room that can apply in the traffic light. But ultimately when you, when you hit that turmoil, when you hit the conflict, you got to have a reason in yourself for doing what you're doing or else it just crumbles. No, it's not, it's not real. And it's, and it's just that, you know, it's, you know, again, call it God, the universe, whatever, but it's all right. How are you going to deal with it now? What if I take this away? Yeah. You still have faith. You still going to make it. How about I take this away? How about now? You still believe? And that's kind of what that was for me because I came in there thinking, well, you know, my practice is fine. I'll, I'll be able to do this. You know, I was worried most about the physical demanding, you know, part of the training. Yeah. But, you know, the mental stuff was, you know, you know, as, as you know, uh, could be just as challenging, if not more so than the physical stuff. But when that stuff was married, it was, it was, it was bam. It was the perfect storm. Perfect storm. Uh, And it was a compassionate, caring environment. It wasn't, there was no one messing with me or trying to, you know, push you. Nobody was trying to really, you know, I I know you hear stories about many of the trainings of different, you know, in different parts of, uh, in the yoga world where it was like, well, we have to break you down before we build you up. It wasn't any of that. It was all of me. It was me breaking me down and me building me up. I wouldn't wish what I went through on anybody, my worst enemy, but I wouldn't change a thing. Okay. Similar to my journey with this accident and where I'm at right now, as opposed to where I was before the accident, I call it the best worst experience of my life. You know, uh, many people go through life, you know, from a top of the well down perspective, standing at the top of the well, looking down, going, wow looks like it's pretty deep down there. Well, it's a little different when you're at the bottom of the well looking up. It's a hell of a lot deeper. And mm-hmm. anybody that's gone through shit in their lives, you know, physical, mental, tra- trauma, anything, anybody that has been through shit and no one gets out of this unscathed, everybody gets their heaping helping at some point in time, you know, understands this. And it's a a mechanism for me, you know, because many people that practice this type of yoga are people that are going in there to heal from something, you know, body, mind, spirit, something. And they've been through it and they understand what it's like to see life from the bottom of the well up. And that's a mechanism to connect and to bind people together. And it doesn't, it doesn't discriminate. It doesn't discriminate race, socioeconomic status, sexual orientation, gender, nothing. People that have been through shit, that have seen life from the bottom of the well up, they get it. They see and they understand that, you know, it's 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 a process. And depending on where you're at in that process, it doesn't matter as long as you keep moving forward. And, you know, uh, the only constant in all of it is going to be it's going to change. And sometimes you're on top and sometimes you're on bottom. But if you can keep that perspective of just saying, you know what, no matter what, I'm constant. I'm just going to flow. I'm going to be like water, my friend, like Bruce Lee. You know, that's that's the concept that, uh, you know, that that I walked away with uh, uh, from all this and, and a concept that I couldn't learn any. I don't think any other way. So I'm not that smart to learn it by reading in a book. I I need to I need to live it. And that's, uh, you know, and that's how that's kind of how I how I learned the best way, I think. Yeah. Super, super powerful stuff. Thank you for sharing all of that. You know, and something else that I touched on in your your little introduction at the beginning of the interview was that I know that you're also doing some advocacy work to remove the stigma around cannabis and cannabis products for, for health and medicinal use. Um, Absolutely. Could you, could you share a little bit about the work that you're doing to that end and maybe, um, you know, a triumph that you've had along the way? Yeah, I, you know, so uh, my, my wife, another one of the many amazing things that came out of this, uh, uh, this accident, uh, you know, throughout this whole time uh, of me, uh, battling, uh, you know, to, to live, to die and, uh, and, and, and come back again. My wife was battling with the insurance company, trying to, to get them to cover all of our bills at the time. Uh, my wife at the time had taught uh, political science, American government, and the constitution at a local university for about the past, uh, uh 14 years, uh, called Northeastern, uh, in Illinois. And, um, that was her background. Uh, the way things had turned, 
uh, after the accident and, and, you know, I came back to the living and so forth and so on, a seat in our local area in the Illinois House opened up and the party, uh, the Democratic Party came to my wife uh, and said, you'd be perfect for this. You've been fighting insurance companies since your husband's accident. You know, you want a platform to, to do it on a larger scale? Come right in and, you know, why don't you run for this, uh, for this seat? And she was like, huh? So my wife ran for the, uh, the Illinois House. Uh, uh, she's now in her third term and actually running for the Illinois Senate uh, this next election coming up. And one of the issues, uh, aside from insurance, which has now been her platform since she's been in there, and now she actually chairs the uh, <laughs> now she actually chairs the insurance committee in the Illinois House. So any wow. insurance laws coming into Illinois affecting health or safety or workers' comp go through my wife, uh, a woman who had no experience in any of this before, a woman who the insurance company said will never even get elected, now chairs insurance in the House, and they hate her. And it's, you know, if you're hated by insurance companies, you're, you're doing something right. Uh, but in her first term, she was, uh, she, one of the bills that she co-sponsored was medical cannabis in Illinois. And we, we have a truly medicinal uh, statute in Illinois. It's not, uh, it's not wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, it's a, it's a purely medical based statute, pre-existing relationship with a doctor, uh, one of a number of enumerated conditions that are listed in the law you know um it's it, it's a it's a real deal uh cannabis and i'm all for recreational use so don't but this is purely medical and i think a lot of people in this country sit on a fence and they think it's all bullshit and they think it's all like california was before where it was anybody got a card if your ass hurts you got a card if you had a pain in your eye you got a card it was just simply a mechanism to skirt the law in illinois it was really medical and I think it really needs to be done that way in lots of places because people need to see the medicinal benefits of, of cannabis, you know, compared to opioid narcotics. You know, and someone who was on all these opioid narcotics, I could tell you, you know, cannabis is, it's like night and day from a standpoint of there's no side effects. I'm not saying certain people can't have side effects. I'm not saying if you don't have an addictive personality that you can't be addicted to something that, you know, no different than food, sugar, uh, or anything if you have an addictive right. personality. But I'm just saying, comparatively, it's it's night and day. So my wife co-sponsored um, medical cannabis in Illinois, and I was fortunately able to get appointed um, to a board. Uh, it was a, uh, the, the Illinois Medical Cannabis Advisory Board. So I sat on this board. Uh, as a patient advocate uh, with a bunch of master of the universe doctors, probably the most hyper-educated board of all boards in the history of the world. I mean, you had the head of pain from Northwestern, the head of um, uh, cancer at uh, University of Chicago, the head of AIDS research at Loyola, you know, the head of integrative medicine um, was the chair of our uh, board uh, from Rush North Shore. So you had these master of the universe doctors that, could be doing anything with their time on a non-paid board, reviewing thousands of pages of documents to add additional conditions uh, to enable people to get access to medical cannabis. Uh, unfortunately, we have a, a, a governor uh, still very similar to, a, uh, to our president who thinks that you know it's a gateway drug to, uh, to heroin uh, and has done everything in his power to make sure that none of the stuff that we had passed uh, had gotten through. It happened before this governor got elected. That's how this, uh, the law came into effect. Mm -hmm. um, so it's been a battle up until that point. But I got really involved in that because I've seen so many cases, kids with epilepsy that take CBD oil that are suffering from 100-plus grand mal seizures a day take CBD oil and they have three seizures a day or none. You know, And it's, it's like 85% you know, effective. I mean, if there was a pharmaceutical drug that was that – you know, they had that kind of effectiveness. It would be a billion-dollar drug overnight. Drugs right. 20, 30 percent effective are, you know, are, are multi-million-dollar drugs. Right. So I've seen the FDA some of the need people to see efficacy anywhere near that high in order to give it the stamp of approval. So. Oh, exactly, exactly. And and because there's no research, because it's still a scheduled drug, you know, uh, and there's more research happening now as as you know the states legalize and and uh, countries like Israel do tons of research. It's happening, but it's just not happening fast enough. 
So for me, I'm a huge advocate. I think it's medicine in the purest, truest, holistic sense of the word, no different than the yoga. And um, and to me, the two of those things have really helped to, to give me my life back. You know, do I still have to take things on occasion? Absolutely. And I'm not someone who says all meds are bad. I'm not someone, you know, who's going to, you know, tell you that the, you know, vaccines cause autism. I'm not going down that road. But I believe that, you know, if if using cannabis in your arsenal of treatments to deal with whatever it is that you're dealing with could cause you to take one or two less Vicodin a day, or two less Norco, or take less X, and and you could function a little bit more normally without being a vacant shell on the couch, you know, then that's a good thing. And and that's kind of the approach that I take. You know, the, the act in Illinois is called, you know, the uh, uh, the Compassionate Care Act. Compassion is actually in the name of the statute because the whole point of it is, you know, people that live and suffer in pain, how can you help them in a compassionate way? And, you know, and basically what that means is through lack of evidence or research, is this the compassionate thing to do? So most of the pain-related stuff that we ever dealt with, we all passed unanimously because it's pain, you know, whether it's post-surgical, you know, uh, whether it's uh, chronic, whether it's, you know, migraines, whether it's, I mean, pain is pain. Um, and, and that, you know, we didn't pass it for things just like general anxiety disorder. We didn't pass it for, I mean, it was truly a medical, you know, uh, standard and an approach to reviewing these conditions and, and adding them to, uh, you know, to the, uh, to the act. Um, and, uh, uh, and it was, it was fascinating to me. I learned a ton and, and, uh, you know, and now even believe more wholeheartedly than I did before that it's truly medicine. Well, I know you said before that you don't consider yourself an inspiration and I do appreciate your humility. Um, but I think that your story is extremely impressive and I really uh, admire you for using this platform, this life that you've got to be vocal about the issues that are meaningful to you. So Michael, one last question. Um, apart from getting your message out on this podcast today, what are you doing today to live your Dharma? Uh, I'm, I'm teaching this yoga for the last three months. I've been traveling around the country teaching, uh, you know, uh, Austin, Nashville, Key West, Kansas city, uh, new Orleans, Boulder, uh, Durham, uh, next month. I'll, uh, or this later this month, I'll be in, uh, in New Hampshire. And, and for me, it's been a way to connect to people, everybody. We have so much more in common than we have in difference with one another. And I think the sooner we all realize that and connect on a one-to-one level, no real meaningful change in this world, in our country, anywhere happens from the top down. It happens from the bottom up. That's change. That's where change comes from. That's how change happens. And this is a mechanism to create change for me. And I leave these places and they're thanking me and I'm thanking them. Getting up on that box for 90 minutes for me is 90 minutes of self-therapy. Okay, so it's it's selfish that they're so happy and thankful that I'm you know coming out there. I'm like, you know what? Thank you. I'm I'm really happy to be here. I'm grateful. I'm the one who's thankful. No, 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 we're thankful, and and that's kind of the thing. But, uh, Just but yeah, a big, that's happy um, spiral of gratitude everywhere. <laughs> it, it's all good. It is. I wake up. I wake up. The first thing I say every morning is thank you, and and then I and then my day goes on from there. And that's truly, you know, how how, how I choose to live my life. And uh, I'll tell you what, you, you live your life that way, you know, whatever you put out there comes back to you tenfold in ways that you can't even fathom because it's done from a pureness of heart. It's done without the expectation of receiving anything in return. And it's done because it's just right. And, and I don't care what religion you believe in, every single one of them says, help people that need help. If you have more than you need, share, you know. Leave, leave something in a better position than when you found it. And, and that, that's the concept, I think, that uh, unfortunately, you know, in our 24-hour news cycles, uh, we, 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 we've lost to some extent. And it's my, my goal to, to try to, to unite people and realize that, you know, that it's still there. It's just, yeah. it's just a little hidden right now in the, the quagmire of, uh, you know, an angry orange orangutan in the White House. Um, so that's my... That's my uh, that's my 
that's my dharma. That's my that's my goal. That's my that's my All my right. motivation. Keep keep teaching. Well, I see you in Chicago for the vacation this summer. Uh, unfortunately, I cannot. Uh, I, I'll do my best to pop in. Uh, I think I'm committed to some of those dates, uh, okay. but I'll definitely be at uh, nationals in uh, uh, in Madison, Wisconsin. So I don't I don't know if I'll see you there. Uh, but yes, uh, you will. You will see me. Okay, then I, then I will then I will see you in uh, in Madison, Wisconsin, in June, my friend. Okay, before we wrap off, though, that concludes the interview. But now we've got the prana round. In the prana round, I'm going to ask you six rapid fire questions and ask you to answer in at most one sentence, maybe even one word. You ready to okay. go? All right. Okay. Question number one: In one word, why do you practice yoga? Self love. What's your favorite yoga pose and why? Trigonasana triangle because I love how it makes me feel. What's the single best cue or piece of advice you've ever received from a yoga teacher? Breathe. Recommend one book, modern or ancient, for our audience? Uh... I am the power of discovering who you really are by Howard Falco. Okay. I've never heard that one. And is yoga for everyone? Absolutely. Okay, Michael, last question. How can our audience get in touch with you and how can we support you in your Dharma? Uh, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, I'm not as sophisticated as many of your other, uh, uh interviewees, uh, so Facebook, Instagram, um, and, and, and be kind, help the world, do something good for somebody every single day of your life. And eventually it'll all connect us. Thank you, Michael. It's been a joy having you on. I hope to catch you around the world. <laughs> Me too, Henry. Me too. Great to, great to talk to you. I uh, look forward to seeing you next month. If you got something out of this episode, if you like Dharma Talk and want to keep it going, please do me a huge favor and subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. I know it's not the most convenient thing to do, but it makes all the difference in getting the show out there and more visible to other people who can benefit from it. And hey, if you've got feedback or ideas or you want to get in touch with me, you can do that on Instagram at Henry Wins. Otherwise, I'll talk to you next week. And until then... Keep living your dharma.